The Book Love Foundation podcast is produced by the Teacher Learning Sessions, connecting teachers with ideas, experts, and each other. Welcome to the Book Love Foundation podcast, and thanks for joining us. This is the last in our winter special blast of podcasts where I interview some teachers about the books that they're using in their classrooms and loving so that you can enjoy them too. Today we're talking to Tiana Silvas Brunetti, who teaches fifth grade this year at PS59 in New York. She's looping with her students this year after having them as fourth graders. She currently is working on some writing for Heinemann through the Heinemann Fellows. I love Tiana's blog on the Heinemann website, Fostering Empathy and Understanding Among Students. She is brilliant, wise, and wonderful. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's interesting this year, I mean, teaching in the heart of the city, like my, I actually looped with my fourth graders up to fifth grade. And um, it's interesting how we have this relationship and they completely like, ripped apart our class collection of books and like we have this like ongoing list in the in in our in our room now and I mean just searching and searching and searching and I mean I I even find myself searching um and what are they looking for they're looking for everything I actually have like a uh, about 20 percent of my students are Muslim and um they're looking for books right now that they can see themselves in um and the Albanian Muslim and um, so they're looking for that. Um, they're looking for, uh, let me think what else, more, more imp- girl empowerment, but girl empowerment of color that isn't just like, this is the adversity I went through, but a narrative that is like, I'm a woman, I'm a girl, and this has been my journey, but not necessarily like I struggled through the civil rights or I struggled through this. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see. And it's like every week, like something new goes up on that board. Um, mental, um, mental illness is another one. Yeah. Um, kids are curious. Um, one of my students is like, there's no books out there that tell my story. And I'm like, I'm searching, I'm searching. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of, I mean, for me, it puts me in check and keeps me going. Um, but also I think um, it's really cool that they have these eyes that they're, they're reading the classroom with. No kidding. And I love that you have this ongoing list. It's always been a staple in my classroom that kids can add books that they know that I'm missing. And after oh, yeah. I had the podcast with Cornelius, I had ordered many of the books he talked about. And I, um, the one on hip hop was back ordered. And one of my kids came in that day and I said, oh, and you've been asking me for a good hip hop book. And I went online and showed him where it was and what Cornelius had recommended. And he was like, that's the one, Miss Kill. That's the one I'm looking for. You know, oh, I didn't even awesome. know how to name it until Cornelius gave me an idea and I could find it. And I think that reading requires so much of that searching on behalf of the teacher. Oh, absolutely. Knowing absolutely. the kids and trying to trying to help them find the books that they're looking for. It's not just let's get everybody excited. It's let's do this with a real purpose for helping our kids grow. Right. And I think there's something like super magical about it of like, I I think about the instances in my classroom where a student has finally found that book to open to that world of reading to them. And I I always wish I could just capture it on film, but it's just too intimate because it's almost this emotional like crossover. And I've seen kids once they've found 
themselves in literature or found what they've been looking for, it's unbelievably emotional and they show it. And um, this one little girl in the Bronx, I'll never forget that day she was sitting in the fifth grade. I was a, a literacy coach at the time and she, she just started crying. And I was like, you have found it, huh? And she's like, I absolutely have. And this is what you guys have been telling me about. I'm like, uh-huh. I go, welcome. Welcome oh, to this world. Beautiful. Yeah. But, I mean, it happens. But sometimes it's, it's, it's a journey, though. You have to search and search and search. and then. But when it does, it does. Yeah. And, and I have two boys this year that um, they're both juniors in high school and have discovered books for the first time that they know of books that really spoke to them. And it was that same kind of moment. I can remember with one, I was looking across the room and I could see him experiencing it. And when you called it intimate, it's, mm -hmm. you know, I, I wouldn't pick up my iPad or my um, camera because it's so raw. And, yes. you know, even though I always ask permission from my students to share um, their thinking or their images, I wouldn't want to ask. I wouldn't want him to say yes, because it yes. isn't for anyone else. Mm -mm. Absolutely not. Um, but it, it is, it's cool to see kids get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I also, it. you know, it takes such persistence. My um, good friend, um, she worked for the Annenberg Foundation, Elaine Mellon, and she, we've been talking about professional stamina, the ability mm. to stay with what's hard. Yeah. Do you find that in your classroom? To stay w w what's hard in terms of like instruction, passion. Um, all of it. Like all of it. I do. I do think that there's, I think, I mean, depending on which direction we wanted to go, I think, I mean, teaching is exhausting on many levels, um, and there's always systematic pressures that occur, and um, yeah, I mean, I could, yeah, I could speak to you for about a, three hours on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, you know what I think was interesting about that is that it's, there's, I've been kind of reading my own and you know, what gives me energy, what takes it away was a famous Don Graves research project. And he asked teachers to name the things in their days over a course of about 30 of them um, that gave them energy and took it away. And I always think about how we have to work within, we know this is going to take energy. The meeting that has an agenda that you know is um, really just a verbal memo and you don't want to attend, but you have to attend. And so you yeah. know you're going to lose energy there. And I often take my notebook and write about students or write about instruction while I'm absorbing this list of announcements. But the other piece is that there's a professional stamina to figuring out what that kid needs. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. you're doing that with your list and, you know, you're, I can just hear it in your voice. I'm going to help those kids find those books. I don't know what they are, but I'm, and that means that you're going to, you're going to find space to do that kind of work for those kids. I think you actually spoke about this earlier too, like the art of slowing down hmm. and um, just because the professional stamina that it takes to be able to really, really get to know our kids. Um, and all their dimensions, but the art of slowing down and how, when it, it's kind of like contradicts itself, but like in order to have that professional stamina, you need to be able to slow down and look at, um, our teaching practice, but also the students in front of, in front of us as humans and as individuals, um, to be able to, uh, 
co-create this learning um, ecosystem that is rich and full and has longevity um, in their lives. I mean, that's what I think about with professional stamina, at least on my part, is putting on the brakes and slowing down so I can do this work, which is hard. Yeah. It's very hard. Um, but it's definitely a practice. And I've talked to my principal about this, just slow down, let's slow down, let's slow down so we can really, really, really do our jobs well. Um, so true. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, but also, like, when I think about, like, books, and I was, like, after I had written you that email, I was thinking about, like, what else besides the books that I, I recommended? I thought about, what about the authors that end up in my students' hands that they can grow with over time? And it's not just as um, from picture books to YA literature to adulthood. And I started thinking about that, and I was like, wait, there's particular authors that are in my students' hands, whether it be they're reading them or they serve as actual writing mentor texts for them, that are growing with my students and that they will continue to grow with once they leave me and go on to middle school and high school. And I was thinking about, like, Jacqueline Woodson, right? Her picture books yeah. all the way from the other side to Brown Girl Dreaming to her adult literature. Then you have, like, Gary Soto, that baseball in April to his poet, poetic works. Um, Matt D. La Pena, I mean, uh, oh, my heart, him. I know, yeah. Um, last stop on Market Street to Mexican um, Mexican white boy. And um, what's interesting with Matt De La Pena, my son, he came in and I was like looking at um, some of his work and my son goes, that's me. That's my favorite book. And I think about how, and my son is um, half Italian, half Mexican, like how he's going to be able to grow with Matt over the years. Yeah. Um, and I think that's beautiful. And he's like, oh, I can be like him. I'm like, absolutely, you can. Um, and then, like, Jason Reynolds, you have, like, Ghost to the Long Way Down, and then Kwame cro Crossover to Solo. Like, these books are going to grow with my kids. And I think about not only building, like, love for literature, but also lifelong writers and yeah. how much of an impact that they've had on my kids in their narrative, but also with the beauty of their craft and how they're trying to write like these authors now. And it's almost like a two for one thing. And that, that makes me super excited as a classroom teacher. Wow. You know what else is cool about what you were talking about is that it's, you know, Terry Lassane's reading ladders, the idea that you can lead a kid to much more complex mm -hmm. thinking in one idea through a series mm -hmm. of books, but you're really talking about author ladders. And I don't think I've ever articulated that well. The idea that when a kid grows alongside one author and they develop this allegiance to that author, they're going to mm -hmm. not only see the work, especially all of the ones that you mentioned that have a variety of different genres they write in, but they're going to see themselves as a writer mentored to the works of that author. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I've had um, some kids in my class who, who point blank told me, I'm not a writer. I'm like, really? And then all of a sudden, I remember putting Kwame in their hands. And three months later, I mean, the lyrics and the beauty of their writing has completely transformed. And their parents even came and told me, like, thank you. Like, thank you for putting this book in my son's hands. And I'm like, I didn't do anything. I was like, that's the magic of reading. And then I just gave them a, an opportunity to write. 
Um, but yeah, it's really cool. Really cool. That is just such a, it's so beautiful the way, you know, we're not even there and we're not doing these particular mini lessons, but the author is giving the lesson in the book as the kid reads. Oh yeah. And it's just like this influence that it's like, we want, we hope that students will embody this life full of reading and writing. And I mean, having an author's authors to grow alongside it with is, I mean, true, like transference, but just like, I think a really um, rich reading and writing life that goes hand in hand together. Yeah. I think about my own reading life and how I'm always pulling these examples. I, you know, turn the corner down on pages or I highlight them on my Kindle, but I'm always when a a passage strikes me as, wow, that's written well. I want to look Mm -hmm. at it again and again and again. And I want to think about what's that writer doing? How can I name what they're doing and do that in my own little notebook here and try it out. And as long as we transfer that thinking to kids, I really feel like we get to this point where they do it effortlessly, just as we do as readers and writers. Oh, absolutely do. Um, See, I could keep talking to you for hours about this. I know. (laughs) I'm like, Um, you want to come to my classroom? Actually, that's what I was going to suggest next, because I'm going to be in New York um, Valentine's Day week, and I really want to come visit. Yeah, you should. It'd be fun, um, especially our how our reading and writing lives go together. Um, the kids, uh, the kids. I don't even teach writing workshop anymore. They do it. Yeah, but they use like all these mentors. I mean, to guide them, which is crazy cool to see. Oh um, my gosh, I'd love it. Yeah, you should. Um, should so? Should we talk about some books? Yes, so we've talked please. about like a, quite a few books. And yeah, what else do you have in mind? What do you want to share with us? Um, so Her Right Foot by Dave Eggers, um, that one is a really cool narrative nonfiction, um, book. Um, it's beautiful and it's intriguing because it's not what you expect from narrative nonfiction. I mean, it has a storyline, but it's all done in illustrations and, um, it's incredibly entertaining too, um, because of the humor tucked in. Um, for example, like the author Dave is like, he loads the the beginning half of the book of like facts and information about how the Statue of Liberty was constructed and the idea was constructed and how it was built. Um, but then he like texts in this humor of like, well, you probably knew blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you probably know this. And then he's like, he gets you at one point later on the book and he's like, but there is one thing that you might not know, and it is the central point of this book, and the author apologize, apologizes for taking so long to get to it. I love it. And, like, literally, like, through the book, and, like, when I was reading it to my students, they're looking at me like, okay, the, the title is Her Right Foot. We're learning all about the Statue of Liberty, and now the author's throwing this at us. Um, and then <laughs> and they were, like, confused. Um, but then the storyline comes of another storyline because there's multiple storylines in there. Um, This new perspective to readers about the Statue of Liberty is on the move because her right foot is in motion. And I've lived in New York 17 years going on 18. And now I have to go take the Staten Island Ferry to look at the Statue of Liberty again, because I never noticed that, that her foot is on the move. Like it's moving, but the reason for this, as the story says, is because she's moving to find freedom and liberty for all. And looking at 
the Statue of Liberty in this text from that perspective is absolutely mind-blowing because it's not something you ever considered. And I think about um, how this opens up um, the uh, a thinking premise for kids of to ponder, like, what does that mean today? What does freedom and liberty mean today? Um, when the United States receives this statue years and years and years ago, what does freedom and liberty mean today? And that's the questions that I pose for my kid towards the end of the, the book um, that they're grappling with in whole class grand conversations. Um, and it opens up some really nice avenues for critical thinking and talk amongst your students. Um, wow. And I also love pairing this. I love pairing all my books with some types of articles, too. Um, um, I love pairing this book with um, articles from the New York Times and other newspapers from that time period um, about the opening ceremony of the Statue of Liberty because, um, obviously, there was power um, struggles and um, privilege when the ceremony happened and when students read the articles and the accounts and getting them to think with another critical lens about power, privilege, and perspective alongside this text. I mean, it's just a lot of fun in class, but really, really important thinking for kids to be doing. Um, doesn't matter what age. It's so wise to, to take a nonfiction article, pair it with this narrative nonfiction picture book, and then to in, just have a classroom that's alive with this thinking that's going to carry over in all kinds of other ways. Yeah, and it just makes reading like so much more fun, too. Yeah. It's like, hmm, what kind of investigation can I do off of this, especially with nonfiction? It's like, yeah, I can read, uh, I, of course I can read like another book on the Statue of Liberty, but this narrative nonfiction book is just so unique in itself. And then going out and pairing it from like um, a journalistic co component, um, it, it gets the kids all riled up and they just have fun doing it. So I would highly suggest that. Wonderful. We're going to put that yeah. in the links to our show notes here. Oh, cool. Um, and then like, I think about like also the other two that I was thinking about, uh, the paper flower tree by Jacqueline Ayler and then family pictures, Cuadros de Familia by Carmen Lomas Garza. Um, those books have been around for years. Um, and I think about why I pulled the, they kind of found me again. Um, but why I pulled them out as an upper elementary, uh, teacher again is because um, where we are today and the stories behind the authors are incredibly important to remember the adversity that others once lived and our students continue to face. Um, and that backstory of the authors just enhances students' journey as a reader. Um, they're reading the narratives for the purpose of seeing themselves in the book or getting to know a different perspective but also to learn about the lives of real people and the adversities that they faced and how they have documented it um, through the works of their writing. And The Paper Flower Tree by Jacqueline Ayler, that found me just before break. My uh, principal put it in our box as a gift. And the book was written in the late 1950s, and it's just been reprinted this year. Um, and her book is based on a tale from Thailand about a little girl named Miss Moon. And she notices um, uh, a peddler's paper flower tree 
um, and the girl desires this tree on her own. And Jacqueline does is her her language in the book is just unbelievably lyrical and captivating. And uh, the peddler actually gives the little girl Miss Moon a paper flower to plant with a bead, a black bead, and he doesn't guarantee her that it will grow. Um, but the book just shows. Um, illustrates the journey of faith that one little girl must have to make something possible. Um, the story, the language is gorgeous, and I do think that the backstory of the author is just as incredible because Jacqueline is a first-generation Jamaican immigrant that grew up in the Bronx. Um, her father was an artist for one of the first mo black modeling agencies, um, and her father taught her how to draw, and that's where her art came from. And she became a fashion illustrator for Vogue. Um, but she had some barriers to break down. As a woman of color, she was not um, given the same privilege as others in her field. Um, and she had to supplement her salary and basically make her way as a woman of color in the industry. Um, and she later settled in Thailand with her husband and two daughters. And she lived there. And I just think her, her life story that is important for kids to know is that this is a woman of color breaking through societal barriers, and the reprint of her work is really a, an honor to who she was as an individual and an opportunity for others um, to learn and take action and see just multiple worlds. I love this. I also love that you work for a principal who would find a book that's that special and then put it in your box for the holiday. Oh, yeah. We, uh, my principal does a great job of finding these little gems, and then she like tucks them into our box a couple of times a year, um, which I'm really blessed to have that. Um, and just being able to even think alongside her, like, how do we use these books in our classroom? Not just for the story, but to um, help build a foundation for the real world for our kids. Yeah, the idea of resilience and persistence and vision and hope that is across time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And those stories have to continue living. And that's why I think about it. I mean, this book was in the late 1950s. Like, we have to, like, bring these stories out again. Um, our world's in a very different place. Well, I don't know, different. But I think about where my parents came from and what they fought for and how we're doing the same thing now. Um, and that actually leads me to like my next author who even growing up, um, I, I didn't really see myself in, in literature as much. I enjoyed reading. I was an avid reader, but it wasn't until later, later, later on down the road where, um, I found this book, family pictures, Cuadros de Familia by Carmen Lomas Garza. Um, that when I first, and she's a, she's a painter, she's an artist, and uh, she illustrates her, her growing up as a Mexican-American, growing up in a rural town, and when I opened those pages, I was like, oh my goodness, this is my life story here. And I think about my students who are Latinx, um, who have had similar um, upbringings, um, she pairs these like vibrant illustrations about like, hitting piñatas at birthday parties to, like, the rite of passage as, as a young Latinx girl um, and having a quinceañera. Um, it's almost like jumping into a text and living my life wow. through this. And I had not had that experience until I 
opened up this book and saw my story um, on the pages of her art. And it was um, paired with just really simple narrative memories of growing up. And just to have that connection was cool. And um, when I've put that out, it's it's so cool to watch kids um, just be so engaged with the story and say, hey, my family does this too. Or, hey, my, my cousin just had her quinceanera. And look, and look, and look, and look at what the, what the illustrations and the paintings are showing. That's just like what I did. Now that was magical. Um, and the cool part is it's both in Spanish and English. And um, also her backstory is what's really intriguing is because, and that's important to highlight, is that um, Carmen joined the Chicano movement in the 1960s and her work celebrates and honors the uh, one perspective of growing up as Latinx in the United States. Um, and that's why I think it should be in classrooms is because it's another perspective um, that kids can either see themselves in or learn and get insight about others um, so we can create more compassion in our world. Absolutely. And especially as this new political debate starts with DACA versus the wall and yeah. we have, you know, these urgent questions that of course kids are listening to and to bring in literature that's so beautiful. And I love that you share your own connection to it, your own, like I found myself here. Yeah, I did. I did. My girlfriend and I too. And we look at that picture. I mean, all of her illustrations are gorgeous, but I think when, when they're making the tamales, we, I think about my girlfriend's, my uh, best friend's family and how we would sit around the table with her. And um, just about when we had our quinceaneras and we just like connect to it automatically. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's magical. But that's what books are. Books are magical. And if we can get more and more kids to uh, experience that magic, um, I think the possibilities are endless. I agree. I, I just I, I so appreciate the passion that you're sharing with all the people that will listen to this podcast and perhaps support the foundation and help us get books to teachers who are all over the country trying to do exactly what you're talking about, but are often in places where they can't get their hands on the books their kids need. Mm, yeah. Yeah. This is great. I'm so glad you guys are doing this. No, I what a privilege to be a part of it. Oh, I just appreciate talking to you so much. I am excited to think about these books in a new way. I had just purchased the um, Her Right Foot. Okay. And I haven't even really absorbed it. I read it quickly, and I'm really looking forward to going back and thinking about it. And then I'm going to definitely, I love the show notes because I go right into my cart <laughs> and add some more books in. I have a new grandbaby coming, and she's going to need all of these books. Oh my goodness. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, anything else you want to say, Tiana, before we sign off today? Anything you're thinking about? I'm excited that this community of educators is coming together to share resources and offer insight. Um, I mean, I grow alongside each and every one of them every day. And, um, I just I feel just honored to have that privilege and I'm so, so glad other teachers are going to get in on the fun. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you so much for your right. time Thank on your vacation you. and, uh, hopefully I will come and visit you in February. Yes. And stay warm. All right. You too. Bye. All right, take care.
Bye-bye. Thank you. Well, I have a whole new stack of books that I have added to my collection by listening to these last few podcasts. I want to encourage you to join us in a couple weeks for our interview with John Irving. I spoke with John about A Prayer for Owen Meany and his life as a writer for the Book Love Summer Book Club. And I encourage you to listen to what this American literature legend has to say about writing and thinking and what struck me the most, planning his stories. My job is to make you if not love someone, at least care enough about them so that you don't want them to be hurt and, and then hurt them. See you next time. Thanks for joining us. Hello, this is Kevin Carlson from the Teacher Learning Sessions. Thank you for listening to the sixth and final of our special winter break reading episodes. In the past shows, we've heard a lot of great book talks and recommendations. Thank you to Cornelius Minor, Tricia Abervia, Dana Johansson, Ariel Johnson, and in this episode, Tiana Silvas Brunetti. If you missed any of these episodes, I encourage you to check them out. I hope you enjoyed listening and that you discovered some new titles to try either for your classroom library or for yourself. In the next couple days, we will be sending a full list of all the books that people talked about to everybody on the Teacher Learning Sessions email list, both as an email and as a PDF. So if you would like to receive that list yourself, just go to teacherlearningsessions.com and join the email list. You can do it right now. Thanks again for listening. I hope you had a fantastic winter break. Support for the Book Love Foundation podcast comes from BookSource. As a leading distributor of authentic literature for K-12 classrooms, BookSource makes it easy for educators to build, grow, and organize classroom libraries that engage readers. With a newly updated BookSource reading level chart, you can see at a glance how the various leveling systems correlate to one another. The new BookSource reading level chart is easy to print and share as a handy reference, and now it's interactive too, so you can easily shop for books at your desired reading level with just one click. Visit BookSource.com to see how the new BookSource reading level chart can help you match students to texts they can read with success. The Book Love Foundation podcast is produced by the Teacher Learning Sessions, connecting teachers with ideas experts, and each other.